Uh, welcome to the Rap Chats. Um, I'm Phil Samba. My pronouns are he, him, and I'll be your host. I work for The Love Tank, a nonprofit organization promoting the health and well-being of typically underserved communities. And I'm the project coordinator of The Rap, Lessons of Queer Resistance and Resilience from Pandemics. So uh, this is a project between The Love Tank and the University of Edinburgh asking about what strategies of care and resilience queer communities were employing to resist ongoing, emerging and exacerbated health inequalities with a particular focus on resilience during pandemics. The Rap Chats are a short series of podcasts uh, where I'll be interviewing people from queer projects, organizations and individuals that are involved in the rap. This week, I'll be joined by guest Alexander Brown. So um, correct me if I'm wrong. Alexandra is a philosophy and religious studies secondary school teacher, academic and poet, whose work focuses on Christian theologies of liberation, Islam within the Black American experience and the issues of social justice pertaining to gender, race, class, sexual identity, and decolonizing the educational system. Alexandra aligns with Black, liberation theology, womanism, and Afro-pessimism. And her pronouns are she, her, we, referring to themselves as um, we when speaking about the ancestors. So uh, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Um, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, everything was spot on, so okay. thank you for that. Good, good, I'm glad. I wasn't sure how I was gonna go. <laughs> um, so my first question is, um, can, you t- can you please uh, tell us more about your work? Yeah, so as you as you stated in the bio, uh, I'm a secondary school teacher. I teach philosophy and um, philosophy and religious studies. I'm also a writer, academic um, poet, and I consult um, on decolonizing the curriculum, the school structure, and wider policy within primary, secondary, and higher learning. Hmm. That's 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 really interesting. I think um, um, the curriculum in this country and kind of like, I mean, probably changed a lot since I've been at school, but like the curriculum in this country can sometimes, I don't know, I feel like it's it's very limited and we don't know a lot of, there's a lot of things that are not taught, a lot of things that are really needed that aren't taught. Yeah, I think, well, from my understanding, I think the, the British education system is very much a product of its colonial legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't it hasn't developed the capacity to reimagine or understand itself outside and beyond that framework. So anything that it does seek to implement and anything that it does seek to perform is still reproducing the structure that has allowed us to, I guess, arrive at this situation. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, where did your interest in religion stem from? Um, I've been interested in religion since childhood. Um, I've always been intrigued um, at the richness of different worldviews and um, world religions and its impact on the lives of its adherents. And I've, I've also, I've always been fascinated by how religion can intersect with culture and politics. Mm. And I think my interest and my, I guess, capacity and desire to engage means that I can develop relationships and understandings with those who have a very dissimilar background to myself. So it's mm. almost as if I can, I can almost speak another language because of that. Is there space for queer people within religion? Um, I, I thought that was a really, uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, would, I would say that we've always existed, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's so much of can we exist? I think p- perhaps the question is, 
um, will our existence um, and our labor and our contributions be honored and remembered and archived? Mm -hmm. um, and will we be able to take up space without it always being an act of defiance um, met with multifarious articulations of violence and resistance? That was a that was a perfect answer. <laughs> I wasn't sure like which way you were gonna go with it. I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> and um uh what do you see as uh resilience uh within queer communities? Um I think for me there are probably five main things. Uh I would say the first is rest. Uh the second is delighting in joy, black joy. Um yes. if I'm explicitly talking about my own community. Um, the third is refusing to be silenced and erased and through that dictating our own narrative. Uh, the fourth is continuing to do the work, both holistically and externally. Um, and five is loving ourselves and each other freely. Mm. And I'd say six would be doing the above unapologetically. I can agree with you more. <laughs> Um, and um, I guess coming back into thinking around like COVID and how it affected everyone, um, what issues did you face uh, during the height of COVID? Um, I think for me, the issues I faced were, I wouldn't say it was anything new per se, but I think it was all my existing struggles. So things relating to my queerness, my mental health and my relationship with my family in particular coming to the forefront because there was, there was of course nowhere to hide. Um, but uh, two standout moments for me um, were the comments, I'm sure you're familiar with, the comments made by the French scientists in which they compared trialing the COVID vaccines on Africans to um, trialing um, AIDS, AIDS um, vaccines on um, sex workers who have been infected with HIV and almost yeah. make two comparable. And then, of course, the, the brutal lynching of George Floyd and this sort of public and sort of free free dissemination um, disturbed my spirit and it kind of robbed me of peace. So I would say those, those three things kind of very much intertangled with each other. Disturbed my spirit and robbed me of peace is a very like very good way of putting it because um, I remember struggling with that, that around um, COVID. I think COVID was difficult in itself because it was also like, like lockdown one. And um, it was just a very weird time where it's like white people just realized racism existed or at least started to acknowledge it. And it was just extremely yeah. frustrating. So yeah, the, 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 the words you used to describe that spawn. Um, how did you overcome those issues? Um, well, I guess, the, I guess the primary way was for me to, I guess, see continuing very unhealthy methods of blocking things out and very unproductive coping mechanisms so that was like the mm -hmm. first thing but the second thing I would say is that I, I started writing actually mm. um speaking just just speaking just sharing my thoughts and just speaking my truth unapologetically and that in itself has opened so many doors that has allowed me to speak on multiple platforms um and do the work that I'm doing and again this very much links back to the murder of George Floyd because mm -hmm. for me it's very much the breaking point and in not that I'm plugging but in <laughs> something that I wrote previously uh, I described George Floyd as a an unintended martyr mm. and those, especially within the black queer community who actively do the work for folks in our community who don't love us back I describe us as sacrificial lambs 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a good way of putting it. Um, I think um yesterday I heard um uh, George Floyd referred to as like kind of in a way uh, uh he's seen as part like kind of like an ancestor yeah. from how he was put into that position of of a martyr. How did COVID uh like affect your working, your way of working? You talked about um you're writing more and you're speaking out more. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I guess. As a, well, if I sort of start by approaching it as a as a teacher, um, I was still going into work. I was still working from the school site, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of gave me a respite from home and I guess things I didn't really want to deal with. So, on that level, there was an element of privilege or at least ease that I enjoyed that many others didn't because they weren't like strictly confined to mm-hmm. their place of, of residence. But the um again the writing, the academic work, the poetry, the speaking um doing all of that within that period I actually ironically experienced a a level of great productivity and growth and again so many opportunities from that so it was as though all of that was very much therapeutic and and very cathartic um and again I'm reminded of one of my favorite philosophers um Frank B. Wilderson III who says that black people work at their best when they're in a state of rage and I can, I can personally um, attest to that. Um, but also on, a, I guess, a more personal slash academic level, this experience was incredibly humbling because I was forced to engage with those within my community who I wouldn't have previously. explicitly mm. um, talking about Black trans folk, yeah. black, black biracial, and also Black folks with disabilities. Um, and their lived experience um, both critiqued and humbled my own and I think it's it was a necessary lesson for me to learn that sometimes the oppressed can also be the oppressor Um, so I was understanding myself and my personhood um, in multiple lenses um, and I've been enriched because of that okay and um, I'm gonna throw out a question that I haven't given you but um, what you were saying was just making me think of it but how did you feel about being sort of on the front line during COVID? Oh, that's a good question. To be fair, I've, the majority of the frontline attention was initially focused on those within the health profession, so the nurses and the doctors in particular, because of course it was those who were preserving and saving our lives. Um, I think teachers were also here, quote unquote heroes in that respect, but I, I think our work was sort of deemed as uh, secondary um, and I think we then were portrayed as villains when many of us refused to return to work um, and we were painted as sort of being lazy and just desiring uh, an extended break although I, I can I can very much assure you many of us worked even harder during this period um, so on, on one hand uh, I was again grateful for the distraction because it allowed me to have something to kind of focus on during the day and I guess not make my reality seem so bleak and very uncertain. Um, but I, I thought the media depictions at times were very harmful and it's still very much hurting the profession now, hence why the numbers of teachers or individuals wanting to join the teaching profession has has dropped significantly. Yeah, I saw that, that I, I saw how uh, teachers were perceived and I always thought that it was extremely unfair. Yeah. Um, I was living with a university lecturer. Um, I saw the things that he was doing for his students and I think it went way past like um it went way past just doing the job 
like yeah. um actually going on the front law front front line and like going into um you know into schools into universities um this was like pre-vaccine this is pre um mass testing it was like it was a quite a scary time yeah sacrificing our bodies for the for the for the love of our students absolutely mm. hence why teaching is very much a vocation mm. this is not i agree yeah, and um, would you say that um, COVID has changed the way you function now? Yeah, I would. I would say that COVID has allowed me to become more of a, a reflective person, more um, outspoken in my views. Um, it, it's given me a confidence and a and I guess a fire that has always sort of dwelled within, but has never really had a chance to to shine boldly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I've, I think one of the reasons for that was how statements surrounding I didn't know racism still existed I thought that was something that we dealt with I thought gender was more our issue you know? <laughs> I was hearing too too much once was too much in, in all honesty um and how um the disproportionate impact on the black community was deemed as a biological deficiency as opposed to structural violence Ugh. and that's that's when that rage really did really did kind of come to fruition um mm-hmm. so it's it's made me less fearful to just speak my truth especially around white men in power I wouldn't say I was I was or at least actively aware of my desire to not be too loud and perhaps maybe internalizing some of the things that our parents generation taught us about make yourself make yourself small and timid don't stand out too much so that you can almost pass as white or at least get along without any any unnecessary aggro but that hasn't served them and that definitely won't serve us so I'm actively sort of rejecting that generational kind of trauma, as it were. And I'm also thinking about the generations that are now coming up. And we're living in a time of great political action and, and activism, whether that be gender, environmental justice, race, um, sexual identity, and so on and so forth, reproductive justice. And all they know is rebellion. Mm-hmm. All they know is that's that's all they know and I think that fills me with hope because they won't put up with the things that our generation our parents generation um, has done um and I'm sort of quoting the Black Lives Matter um I don't want to call them leaders but they're founders because it's a leaderful movement but I'm not passing I'm not passing down the torch I'm I'm helping them to light the fire so I think that's that's been my role within this as well being politically active even within the classroom Thank you for the answer. Um, my final question to you is, um, what advice would you give other queer people to stay resilient? Um, again, another another good question. Uh, I think I'm gonna, <laughs> on trend, I'm gonna queer it slightly. Okay. Um, so my, my understanding of resilience is, I guess, one's capacity to recover quickly and withstand adversity. Mm-hmm. But being queer, and in particular black and queer, means that we, we exist in a world where resilience is is a necessity and I think we're resilient by default Mm -hmm. and I personally think that resilience should be shown in certain periods or within certain situations but I don't think it should be on modus operandi so I don't I don't think you know my career siblings need any more of that sort of like resilience toolkit as it were if anything I would encourage them um, to find and form places and spaces where they don't need to be resilient and rather mm. they can be who they are without question. Okay. 
Okay, um, that that's it for from me. Um, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, making the time to do this, and um, I can't wait to put all of these together. I'm